Hey guys, I hope that you are loving this podcast and I really hope you're going to love this podcast you're about to hear. And if you do, I wonder if you would share it, share it to your people, text it out, put it on your social, email your Aunt Jackie that, that would love it, or you were just talking to your neighbor about this. Send it out, share it for me if you don't mind. And I wanted to let you know that I'm about to release a 30-day devotional. It's called A Devotional for a Divided Nation, Volume 1, which, yes, means there will be a Volume 2 that I'm also working on, but Volume 1 is going to be 30 days of quick reads, a little scripture, and a little perspective to encourage us and fill us with faith in this moment in history. So please watch for that. If you want to know when that's coming out, join my newsletter, which is at gainingmyperspective.com, and I will send it out to you. I will actually send you a couple of days for free if you're on that newsletter, and then you will have the opportunity to grab the whole 30 days if you want it as an ebook. I hope that is exciting, and I hope you're going to love this episode. Let's check it out. This is the Gaining My Perspective podcast, and you're hanging here with me. Wendy Cunningham. You're here to get empowered, inspired, informed, and encouraged as we navigate the everyday journey of this crazy life. Stick around because we're going to laugh and we're going to learn. And above all else, we're going to gain perspective. When I am thinking about what I want to talk about or, you know, I'm always like, I don't know if I'll have something to say for next week's podcast or, you know, in a couple days, like what new things will I have to say or contribute? And the Lord always burdens my heart with something that just, ugh, that I just feel like, man, we need to talk about this. We need to look at this. We need to really examine. Oh man, there's, and then of course I have the opposite problem sometimes where I'm like, but which thing this week? Because there's so many things that need light shined on them and need perspective given and we need to just discuss and talk about actually on the drive home just now from lunch I was listening to a debate about CRT uh, critical race theory and it was really refreshing to actually hear a debate and not just a one-sided thing Um, and I'm fully aware that I tend to be a one-sided thing so you know take that with what you will. <laughs> but it was really good to just hear the the facts debated and to discover that actually there are some things that we agree on at the end of the day. Like there are some basic things that we can come back to, at least most of us. And I, I find that that's where a lot of my burden is in the church where, you know, there's such a, at least in my mind, and actually at lunch we were talking about this, when I was an atheist and a liberal, those things went together. And I don't mean that in a condescending way at all. I'm so sorry if that's how that is perceived. But those ideologies, like when there is no God and when there is no truth and when there is no absolute, then you can shift and change and go and be and think and feel and and, and things can be in a... In a in, hate to use this word, but in an evolutionary way, right? Like it can evolve and it can change and shift. But the farther I walked into faith, the more I discovered there there are absolutes and the things that I think don't actually matter. And the thing, like I, I might feel a certain way, but that isn't reality or that isn't the truth and therefore I'm wrong. Truth does not need to change to meet me. I 
am wrong and need to readjust and look at truth. So it, the reason why I say all that is to say that it is occurring to me that there is a cost to ideology and that cost is actually lives. Ideology kills and on both sides, in both extremes. And that is why there has to be this approach, this sense of humility that comes into the conversation. I'm always praying over that and always trying to bring that. And I'm not perfect at that. I definitely get on my high horse and I'm sure you do too. So forgive me for that when and if that's happened or you've heard that. But I really just wanted to come to a couple of conversations where I really see there is a, a cost associated with ideology. And in the debate, I was just listening to the, the gal that the, would be on the other side of the school of thought from me was saying that we are, those of us who are very, very much understand the world and paying close attention to politics and paying close attention to history and know all these, you know, know things in a different way, in a more complete way than other people just from our studying or our reading or our interests or what have you. We are the, the, not the norm. The normal person, the regular run of the mojo doesn't think these things and isn't feeling these ways and doesn't understand these things at these higher levels. And that's true. And that's exactly why we have a representative government where we elect people to pay attention and then they do the voting and the petitioning on our behalf because we don't understand, because we don't pay attention, because we don't read the bills, because we don't know history the way that we should. And yet what I'm discovering in the last two years, specifically, but broader than that, but definitely some key issues in the last two years, is that there's an ideology that exists on both sides, of course, I'm going to focus on the far left ideology and certain flaws that I see and stumble over that are super costly, especially because they're held very tightly by people who do not actually understand the laws of nature, if you will, or economics, or, you know, they're, they're, throwing everything through a filter. They're not trying to have a deeper understanding. They couldn't actually cite their sources. They would argue rhetoric as opposed to facts and, you know, and, and be willing to say, okay, I'll go with you on that, but not on this. There's an ideology that's being held very fervently by people who, who don't understand all of the components. And it is very costly. I mean, the obvious ones uh, are things like COVID and masks and vaccines. Obviously, those are are more obvious and prevalent and easy to remember. I mean, the mask, the ideology and the virtue signaling, signaling around the mask wearing is so wild. And I'm sure that the other side would say not wearing a mask is costing lives. But unfortunately, the facts don't bear that out. The highest levels of clinical results play out that there is either no, zero, not at all effect on the masking and preventing COVID to a negligible potential amount for certain age groups, namely the elderly, which, okay, fine. If the elderly are getting a benefit from wearing a mask, then awesome. They should be wearing a mask if that's, if they feel like they should. Now, should they be compelled to wear a mask against their will? Absolutely not. But if they feel like that is offering them a benefit, then awesome. There is zero, not any studies found any benefit of mask wearing in young people. And yet young people are masked at school to this day 
in a lot of places. I, I'm seeing that ending every day, more and more. And I'm grateful for that and I'm happy and I'm cheering that on. But that is a costly ideology that we clung to. Not only are they not preventing COVID, not only does it say on the box you buy your mask in, it does not prevent COVID. Not only is it not helping COVID, but it's actually having a harm. We are seeing that the IQs of kids that are, were born in 2020, like we're already able to, to measure deficits in this young generation that's only you know two or younger at this point because of mask wearing, because of language barrier, because people, they're not seeing the faces of their parents. They're not seeing the faces of strangers at the grocery store. They're not able to perceive emotion in the same way because of facial expressions. Their, their socialization is disturbed, but their IQ is measurably down. And we're seeing that not just in the younger, you know, two and, and younger, but also just in the elementary aged range. We're seeing an entire year, 2020, is basically lost educationally. So if you were in school and at any level in 2020, you basically lost a year of your education, one that will not be made up. We are seeing now in this ideology that follows through in the same direction that, you know what, instead of making school harder, we need to embrace diversity and equity and we need to eliminate any sort of educational standard for even having been in school for 13 years of your life. You don't actually have to read or write or do math to graduate high school in a lot of places now because that's, again, the cost of an ideology. Now, how is that setting anyone up for success? I'm not sure, but now I'm off the mask tangent there for a minute. I'm just talking about the costs, generally speaking, of ideologies. I was talking about masks, so I want to go back to that. We are instilling an obsessive fear. There's almost an irrational fear because of this this mask that's been forced. We're seeing these disturbing images drawn by students. I don't know if you guys have seen any of that, but there's these images that are going viral that that uh, kids in school are sketching with the masks on their faces and help me written on their forehead and all of the, you know, these various just really disturbing glimpses into the psychological impact of students being masked, right? So there's a cost behind this ideology. There's isolation that comes along with being separated, not being able to see each other's faces. I got to tell you, I don't hear very well. I depend on lip reading to actually fully grasp what someone is saying to me. I have struggled over the last two years, let me tell you. And you know what's always so fun is when I can't hear you, what happens, like let's say in a loud restaurant, we end up moving closer to each other to yell, <laughs> to project more saliva at each other when we can't hear each other. It's kind of funny. Or my favorite is when a server will just take their mask down and lean over closer to me and tell me, you know, ask the question or clarify my order or what have you. It doesn't bother me one bit. I'm just saying it's ironic and hilarious that you have the thing on to begin with, right? Um, big problem on airplanes when they're like, you know, when they ask me a question or when they're talking to me just over the ambient noise of the plane, I can't hear you. I can't hear you and I can't see your lips. So I have no idea what you're saying to me. Sorry. You're going to have to get really close to me and yell. <laughs> so you know how I feel about the vaccine game. That's, I've not been very shy about that, but we're, we went into very quickly into this ideology where every person, and again, it was split very politically, which is also strange and interesting. And again, it, it doesn't just go red, blue or Republican, Democrat. 
it's like more freedom-minded people and more the opposite of whatever that is. People who love big government, people who love, you know, essentially weaponizing the state against who they view as their enemy, which I see as such a bully thing to do, which is so funny because so many people who really hated Trump hated him because he was a bully. I'm using air quotes. He was a bully. I'm like, to me, there's nothing more bully than weaponizing the full weight of the state against an individual to do something, especially something as like, like a personal choice is deciding whether or not to take a medical intervention and the cost the catastrophic damage of this ideology is not yet measured, but it is beginning to be measured. And let me tell you, one of the things that angered me so very much this last week, ooh, it filled me, filled me up with some rage, was watching our friend Rochelle Walensky at the CDC basically say that she got the news that the vaccine was 95 or 98% effective from CNN. Okay, that was her source and that she reacted with too much optimism and too little caution because she, like all the rest of us, I'm paraphrasing her, but not really. She, like all the rest of us, just wanted it to be over. And we saw this as the solution. And to use her words, she used too much optimism and too little caution. Why would she be saying something like that? Well, last week, we also had the first big giant drop of the actual data, the the FOIA, essentially, the Freedom of Information Act of the Pfizer trials. Uh, We saw that information, the transparency finally came out, and we saw the astounding amount of side effects they knew about, the risks they knew about. I mean, this is the beginning of a very, very large iceberg, and it's really tricky to be like, to not sit and go, I told you so, I told you so, trust me. This is where humility comes in, right? Because I'm sad about it. I'm sad about it because people I know and love got this thing. And some of them felt like they didn't have a choice. Some of them felt like they were persuaded with evidence that what didn't ultimately end up being real. They were they trusted somebody who told them to get it and they regret getting it. And then there's some people who their ideology still says, I should have gotten it and they're right, right? And again, I don't care if you got it. Like, it's totally fine. It should be your choice. Absolutely. And I'm not against it existing. I am against you not knowing the actual risks. I'm against coercion. I'm against you being told something is good for you when maybe it actually isn't. And now that we're seeing the uh, data coming out of Pfizer on its own trial, it's very, very clear that the damage is, is and will be absolutely catastrophic. There is more death and more injury than we've ever, ever seen from a vaccine or medication. I mean, it is staggering what we're seeing. And you might be able to water it down by saying, well, the amount of people that took the vaccine per the amount of deaths is negligible. We're ta- we went on this road together, this COVID road together, putting masks on everybody's face because one death was too many. One death was too many when we were talking about COVID. But now that we're talking about the vaccine, apparently lives are expendable, actually, in the end. It is okay that some people die for science, right? It is not okay that your neighbor's friend's grandmother might die if you don't wear your mask. How dare you? You should be shamed. You should be shamed publicly. You should be censored. You should be a domestic terrorist. But it is, you, it, lives are expendable 
at the cost of the vaccine that potentially saved. I mean, we're seeing things, I don't even want to quote numbers, but how many vaccines need to be given to save even one life in COVID? When you look at those numbers coming out of the data, it is, it's very clear that we've been had right? And this is only just the beginning. The vaccine rolled out in full force January of 2021. It is now, as I record this, March of 2022. We are one year in and we already are recognizing this is the most catastrophic damage ever. I, I mean, it's just, I can't even, I can't even wrap my head around what's to come, what will be revealed, how many athletes in perfect health have dropped dead on the, on the field. It is staggering how many 20-somethings, 18-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 8-year-olds have dropped dead on the playground. I actually watched a video the other day of a kid. He had to be 10 years old. It was a, a surveillance video, so there was no audio, but he kind of stumbles to the side of the gym and he falls over and it's a minute before anybody even realizes what happened because you don't expect a 10-year-old to have had a cardiac event. And lo and behold, a few minutes more into the uh, surveillance video and we see this 10-year-old be resuscitated with uh, CPR. Unfortunately, he did not make it. I watch this video and I go, why are 10-year-olds dropping dead of heart attacks? I never, never have I ever, Never have I ever. It wasn't something I worried about in school. It wasn't something that I ever read a headline about. And now all of a sudden, that's all we see. And we don't, we're not connecting the dots because you guys, ideology is costly. It is killing people. I know people who wouldn't have even taken a Tylenol before COVID who were the, you know, don't, don't hear me wrong here because I love me some essential oils, but only treated any ailment in their entire body with an essential oil who were first in line to get this unknown medication never before tried on humanity injected into their body like what is that that it, that can only be explained by an ideology an ideology got in deep and you compromised all the things you believed up until that point for this ideology it's costly I was learning a little bit. I'm trying always to learn and try to understand what the heck is behind climate change because I know that this is just such a trigger subject for people on the other side of the aisle for me. But there are a couple things. This is a, a, an example that ties into present issues with Ukraine because so much of our issue with Ukraine and our, our inability to effectively stop Putin or, you know, ha really has to do with oil. We were up until last week buying an outrageous amount of oil from Putin, which really doesn't serve anybody because obviously we're trying to get him to stop doing whatever he's doing in Ukraine. And we can't really effectively say, stop doing what you're doing when we're importing as much of his, his resources as we are, right? And the same is true for all Western Europe, basically. Their, their natural gas pipeline from Russia, they're absolutely dependent upon it. Now, we have the ability in America to not only be energy independent and not have to depend on Putin or anybody else for our energy needs. We have that ability. We were doing that under Trump. We also have the ability to become an energy exporter which means that we could actually help Western Europe stop being so dependent on Putin, which that would actually hurt him tremendously, right? He's already, the ruble is already in massive decline in Russia, their currency. So we can actually affect a, a serious change. And what is stopping us from doing it? It's bad for the environment. Climate change. Biden is a climate change activist and, and we would rather see nuclear war before we would turn on the Keystone Pipeline and start to 
allow fracking and renew some of these leases. Like we would sooner go to war, World War III. We would sooner send our sons and daughters to fight in a foreign war before we'd ruin the environment on our turf. It just, it ideology kills. So for anyone who is waving a Ukraine flag, we're here to support you and doesn't recognize the inconsistency in that philosophy, I just urge you to dig a little deeper, understand a little bit further how you, how this ideology is inconsistent. You cannot have it both ways. You cannot do both things at the same time. We literally saw people freeze to death in Texas last year during the polar ice vortex or whatever that was called because of a, an over-dependency on renewable sources of energy that were not sufficient. They were not sufficient. People froze to death in their homes. The ideology is literally killing people. I just went to the gas station just now before I started recording this. Oh, and I drive a Mercedes and I have to use the, the expensive gas, the gas that's expensive already on a regular day. That's expensive. And I live in rural Tennessee and it was $5 a gallon where I live. That's the expensive gas. $5 a gallon. <laughs> I remember a moment. Now I know I'm old and this is not exactly a parallel, but I remember putting $5 in my gas tank in high school and that would get me a day or two. I would put my $5 lunch money in my tank and that would get me a day or two of gas to and from my house. Okay. It's insane to me that we don't recognize. And of course the white house is putting out, like I saw a video from Jen Psaki that she, like a separate video, she's not doing a press conference. She just put out a video that says, Hey, if y'all are worried about gas prices, just so you know, you can go ahead and blame Putin. Just so you know, I'm getting out in front of this. P prices are going to continue to go up. You can go ahead and blame Putin. Well, I wish that were true, except for gas prices actually had already gone up more than they've gone up since we've been in this conflict with Russia in the first year of Biden's presidency. They went up over a dollar in the first year of Biden's presidency, and they've been up, gone up about 75 cents since then, since the invasion. So, I mean, we can blame some of it on Putin if you want, but even if you want to blame this last hike on him, what should we blame the first hike on? Because I know we love to blame in politics. We just love to say it's somebody else's fault. And don't mishear me because I'm going to say that I blame equally Republicans and Democrats because just this morning there was a exorbitant spending bill that passed in the, um, I think it went through the House, with outrageous amounts of people voting for it, allowing for some amount of billions of dollars going to Ukraine, but the bill itself was like $1.4 trillion. Okay, we're in the middle of an absolute inflation crisis, worse than any in my lifetime, perhaps we should cool our heels on the government spending for a hot minute. Perhaps we should worry about the people in our own country before. Call me an isolationist. Call me a nationalist. That's fine. But I am more worried about the person on my street who's not going to be able to actually afford to go to their job, actually afford to buy food because they're, my husband bought the last bag of flour and the last two jugs of milk at my grocery store two nights ago, okay? So we are actually not going to be able to get the things that we need or go to the places that we need to go here in the United States of America. Now, don't hear that I'm saying we need to be spending $1 billion billion here at home either. I'm not about the stimulus plan. 
it's not sustainable and it's not a fix. It's a band-aid. It's putting gum over a broken pipe, right? But for sure, I know for sure that we do not need to be sending money abroad in the, the ways that we're sending money abroad. Even the Ukraine thing, talking about ideology, the media obsession and the virtue signaling, the amount of Ukrainian flags everywhere. I, I, I can't even handle it anymore. It was like the mask thing or the vaccine card or the black square or whatever it has been over the last two years. Now it's a Ukrainian flag. And I'm like, how many times, how many times are you going to fall for it? Here's what you need to worry about today, guys. Here's the signal you need to send out to make sure that you're worrying about the right thing and you're on the right side of the worry train. Go ahead and take to your social media, everybody. Go ahead and hate your your orange man supporting friend or neighbor or family member, whatever. Make sure you're doing it. Okay, here's a new way to show everybody how you feel. Here's a new way to be afraid and to, to you know, signal your ideology out into the world. I ju- it's bothering me so much this time around. I'm just like, oh my word, we are worse off than I actually thought. We are so dug in on this. We are so dug in on this that we cannot possibly not do our virtue signaling. We cannot care any, like we just only care is what I want to say about what the media says for us to care about because newsflash, Ukraine has been at war for about eight years. Could be more than that. This is not new. Yes, it's a new invasion, but this has been a conflict. There has been, (laughs) remember, like everybody wants peace in the Middle East. It's because forever there has been no peace in the Middle East. (laughs) There has been war and conflict and people dying and genocide. And maybe if you're lucky, you get a good solid documentary out of it and it might win an award. And that's about as much as we care about any other conflict that the media does not tell us to care about. But Ukraine? Oh, come on. Come on out of the woodworks for this one. Suddenly everyone knows, I promise you, myself included, no one knew what the Ukrainian flag freaking looked like three weeks ago. Nobody even could have pointed to it on an unmarked map, okay? Myself included. This is not me being condescending. (laughs) But now it's the most important thing ever. We need to virtue, we need to put it on our social media. We need to wear our pins. We need to do our things. We need to donate. We need to do all of, oh, I'm just like, do we not see? What about all the other conflicts? What about the fact that because of this conflict and because of our, our lack of willingness to start producing oil on our own turf again, despite that, now we're making deals with Iran. Iran is like the number one place where terrorist plots are hatched. They are not our friends. And we are, we are going to let prisoners out like prisoners out of prison, send them back into Iran and Venezuela. Like, we're sorry. Will will you please give us some more oil? Will you please work a deal with us so that we can get oil from some other place? Because for some reason, it's not that we are truly able to eliminate the need for oil or fossil fuels. It's not that that's true because that isn't true. Obviously, that's the problem. But we're just unwilling to do it on our own conscience. We're not willing to drill it here or open up the pipeline here or do fracking here because if we do it here, then it feels hypocritical. But if we do it another place or if you do it and we just buy it from you, then it's not disrupting the climate. (laughs) But let's go back to climate change for a minute while I'm thinking about it. There used to be a giant lake in the Sahara Desert in Africa. I don't, I don't know where that went to, but it was like thousands of years ago, you know, 
following science. What happened there? How did that lake dry up? Was that climate change? Was that from cows farting? Was that from um, the heating up of the world? Was that from too many cars being driven in Egypt? Like, what was that from? Or could it be, maybe, that climate change is just cyclical? Like, maybe there is an element. My peacock is right outside my window, y'all. I don't know if you can hear him, but he's out there. <laughs> Perhaps climate change, it used to be global warming when I was younger. Now it's climate change because we've discovered that the, the earth has heated up a negligible amount. The temperature of the globe has, has increased so negligible that, and this is since we've been tracking. We also like to say it's higher than it's ever been in, ma- in the history of mankind. Well, we were not tracking when it was just Adam and Eve, we weren't actually measuring the temperature of the earth. So since we've been tracking, keeping track, that's all we've got. And we certainly weren't keeping track of the temperature of the earth or any of these things back in the last ice, ice age or potentially many ice ages, as science would suggest. What's the deal with the ice ages? What caused the ice age? What stopped the ice age? I, I'm truly, honestly curious about these things. I've never really cared enough to um, investigate, but I would love... Actually, maybe I will. Maybe I'll go do a climate change episode and start to learn some of these things. So these are always things I think of. There's tons of evidence for a global flood. Most science wants to say that it is more regional flooding, but catastrophic nonetheless. I mean, they're not denying that there's seashells on top of mountains. How does that happen? Well, we don't want to say it was a global flood, but we're willing to say that it was a regional flood. What caused that? What caused that to start and what caused it to end? And could it be that there is a bit of a cyclical thing with climate and that this is an ideology that's actually becoming catastrophic, catastrophic. Now, when you look through the, this lens, it, to me, it's just very simple. God decides when the earth ends. Full stop end of sentence. God decides when the earth ends, so I don't have to actually worry. Now, does that mean that I shouldn't pay attention, that I should, I mean, we live on a farm because we want to humanely kill our animals and, and have them eat, you know, grass and not, not shoved into a giant building and just pop out meat that like, we care about those things for sure. That's, I've actually changed my whole life around to align with those sorts of things. So I don't think that we should just strip all the resources and not care at all. Have we overfished? Have we overhunted? Absolutely. Do we do a lot of stuff for sport that I think is sad and wasteful? Absolutely. Are we going to cause our own demise on this earth? No. God is in charge of that. There's nothing we can do that's outside of his plan. Now, would he use climate change? He actually speaks of really dramatic, natural and climatic events in the end times. So perhaps that's true, but I have news for everybody. We don't get to get out of that one. There's nothing we can do to get out of that one if you're looking at it through a biblical lens. So it just is not something that I need to worry about taking control over because I don't have control over it. God told us to dominate the earth and he's going to end it however he sees fit, whenever he sees fit. According to AOC and Al Gore and and Carrie, we've already passed several expiration dates over the years. The earth is only gonna be around for four more years, 12 more years. By the year this year, we're gonna see the end of the earth. Those have all gone by, which reminds us there is a God and we are not him. Also, 
carbon dating has been disproved. There was a really excellent documentary I watched and I've seen many since about Mount St. Helens and how that was such a, a, you know, it really was like a little micro moment of the climate and how it was shifted and the environment and the species and how that was all affected in light of this really extreme natural disaster when Mount St. Helens erupted, essentially exploded. And this man was standing on the mountain and he said, if you were to carbon date this mountain, it would tell you this mountain is millions of years old. But I was here. I lived here before Mount St. Helens erupted. And this mountain was not here when I was a kid. Now, riddle me that when those sorts of things happen where you're like, now, if you were to take the carbon dating, it would tell you a different story than the, the actual lifespan of humanity. But what I have realized is that people will, will sooner believe in their ideology than they will in someone's actual experience of something. And this is something I talk about having been in January 6th in DC, that people would would sooner align with the narrative than they would align with my personal experience of having been there. I'm clearly the liar. (laughs) I'm clearly the one that does not know what I'm talking about. An anchor person on CNN or Fox or wherever, MSNBC, they know, I don't know, I was there, but they, I somehow don't know what happened that day. Ideology is costly. Another example, of course, which is very measurable, is BLM, Black Lives Matters, and defund the police. Those things go together. They emerged into mainstream together, and I'm sorry, but that's where they're going to stay. Despite the fact that Joe Biden just tried to make a massive move in his State of the Union address away from defunding the police, we all know there. I don't. There's just a thousand million, a thousand million different video clips and quotations from all across the left side shouting and touting this defund the police motto that is most certainly not from the right side of the aisle. It's designed to be divisive. It's designed to put us against each other. But let's look at the actual statistics. You want to tell me that defund the police is not an ideology that is killing people? It's actually measurable. You can actually see the catastrophic consequences, the lives lost through this movement. And of course, every major city is backpedaling and now actually giving money to their police department because turns out where there is no police, there is more crime. It's just, it's a law of nature. So let's look at some statistics. I did a podcast, gosh, uh, probably a year ago. I'll link it down below because I thought it was so interesting that Biden voters, I, this is how it went in the, in the actual study, Biden voters thought that black men were more likely to be killed by a police officer than they were to die in a car accident. They thought, and it, it was brilliant the way it was done because it's an actual measurable statistic. We know how many black men are killed by police. There's some, we can measure that. And then we know how many black men are killed in police or in, I'm sorry, in car accidents. So we can measure that. And it's, it's very, very overwhelming that black men are more likely to die in a car accident. And, and even just the phraseology of the question, it's not even meant to be deceiving. Like we know that car accidents are just, you know, there was a terrible one on my road just today. Like, they're prevalent. They're everywhere, right? Like I've never, ever, ever, ever seen with my own eyes a person being shot by a police officer, black, white, or purple. Never seen anybody be shot by a police officer with my own eyes in front of me. But I have seen many, many people die in car accidents with my own eyes in front of my face. And yet 
Biden voters got that answer wrong. A staggering, it was like in the 70%. Listen to the podcast. I break down the whole study. I thought that was so interesting. Just this recognition of how ideology is overriding truth. It's overriding truth. And then we're, this is what I meant at the beginning of this whole podcast is we're not fully grasping the whole picture. We're only grasping the ideology. We're not fully understanding how all the pieces fit together. We're just grasping at the ideology, which makes it so dangerous. When we grasp on and put a bumper sticker on our car, virtue signaling, because I've got my BLM sticker and everybody knows what that means, right? So I'm good to go. They know where I stand. I'm not a racist. It's like, well, tell me more about that. And how would you solve that problem? There's no answers for that. Defund the police. That's the answer. Oh, tell me more about defunding the police. What does that look like in in practicality? Do you know the statistics around that? Do you know how that's going? Do you know like how many black people are even shot by police or white people for that matter? Do you know any of the? No, no understanding. Ideology only. No answers to these questions. Rhetoric, emotion, I literally had this this conversation with somebody last summer, or rather in 2020, and he said to me, every cop is racist. I was like, every cop is racist, even the black cops? Yep. Okay, this is when you lose me entirely, that you're willing to, you're a race traitor, this is, you know, all these different things that we go into before we're willing to say, okay, maybe not every cop is racist because we can't even give that inch because if not every cop is racist, maybe only a few cops are racist and then what are we talking about? (laughs) Then we're talking about a small group, but we like to make it big giant groups. We like to make it ideologies. That works better. It's more aggressive, right? It's more practical in an argument. We saw riots, riots from the Black Lives Matters protests, from the George Floyd riots, as as we call them, right? Back in 2020. It's unknown, but I've seen anywhere from 22 to 35 people died as a result of those riots over the summer. Actual evidence that ideology is killing people. Crime is up. Aggravated assault is up 12.1%. Manslaughter is up 29.4%. This is nationally. And murder rates are up 30% nationally. It's over 500% in certain inner cities. That's a national number, 30% rise in murder rates year over year. That is, that is staggering. That is actual evidence of an ideology costing lives. And again, on that, I'm actually going to have a guest on next week, I believe, talking about critical race theory in schools and not just critical race theory, but how transgenderism ties into that. And just, he actually used the word, I'm sure he will again, transing our youth. Like we are intentionally transing our youth. And he was like, we need to coin the phrase because that's what's happening. And I found, I was like, wow, I absolutely agree with that. We see that transgenderism is on the rise in our youth. It is up. Granted, transgender, the category of transgender is somewhere in the area of 0.5%, not 5%, 0.5% of the population. There's a whole lot of conversation going around for 0.5% of the population. I don't mean to say that in, in regards uh, to that we shouldn't care for them as a Christian. Our job is to love everyone, not judge, you know, share the gospel, all the things point towards freedom, point towards the the word of God, all of these things, offer hope in Jesus Christ. 
all of these things. This is not at all. I'm what I'm trying to point out is it's more and more of the conversation. It's more it's growing. And that's on purpose in the same way that everybody's talking about Ukraine. It's because they're wanting us to talk about Ukraine. The same reason everyone there's all this legislation and everything else about transgender. Ten years ago, I promise you, you weren't thinking as much about transgenderism as you are today. I promise you, because we weren't told to think about it as much as we are. So since 2017, transgender identity has gone up 1%. That's pretty significant, given it's a pretty insignificant part of the population. It's up tremendously in younger generations. So the, the amount of transgender people in 65 and older just pales in comparison to the people in the 18 to 25-year-old category that identify as transgender. It's just interesting. It's just an interesting statistic that I looked up today. Since 2012, transgender identity has gone up 2%. Again, this is significant given the fact that this is an insignificant part of the population. A, I don't mean to say insignificant. A relatively low part, <laughs> a very, very relatively low part of the population. It's interesting that we're seeing this dramatic increase in the last 10 years. It's an interesting thing to see. We're also seeing the most depressed generation we've ever seen. Suicides are up. Drug use is up. Anxiety and uh, depression medication prescriptions are up. I actually looked up some of the statistics because I was curious. The Journal of Abnormal Psychology reports that between 12 and 17-year-olds, 52% increase in major depression episodes. That does not mean a bad day. That means prolonged experience of lack of caring, lack of, you know, engagement, lack of social engagement, all of a prolonged experience of depression. 52% increase in ages 12 to 17. Ironically, the public school age. And then we have 18 to 25 year olds are up 63% in reporting of major depressive episodes. This is so staggering to me. Suicides are up in the 18 to 25 year old age group, 71%. I should say suicide attempts or thoughts of suicide are up 71% in that age group. It is unchanging in the 65 year old and up category, age category. It is very, very dramatic. And we're seeing a 34% increase in suicide attempts since 2000 in this younger category. In the 12 to 25 year old age categories collectively, all of those age groups, it's like broken down 12 to 17 year olds and then 18 to, you know, 20 year olds and then 21 to 25 year olds like there's bro it's broken down into subcategories but all of those categories have more than 10 percent of the population reporting to be depressed young people more than 10 percent at least i should say at least 10 percent or higher of that age group is reporting to have depression suicidal thoughts even suicide attempts we're seeing suicide attempts in the transgender community at 32 to 50% of transgender 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 identified individuals are attempting suicide it actually is deadly and i call transgenderism an ideology because i do believe it is being created intentionally and we're going to talk a little bit more about that 
on the next podcast, but it is against the natural order of God, right? God assigns us our gender. There are two. I'm willing to say it. <laughs> I'm willing to say it because I'm, I, I submit my own thoughts and ideas to the word of God. And the word of God is very clear on this. In this I grew up in high school with a kid. We called him Kitten. I don't actually remember what his actual name is. My husband would remember. He meowed and thought he was a cat and identified as a cat. And I know this sounds funny. And when I said this to someone, they actually giggled and laughed. And I was like, why is that funny? And why is that funny? Like, he's obviously not a cat, but he wanted us to call him Kitten. We did. He meowed. He acted like a cat. And we just went along with it, you know, and he was the only one I can remember in my, in my experience in youth as identifying as a cat. And I, I don't mean to be condescending when I give this example, but why is it that someone would giggle at that and then it would not be at all weird for a man who is very much a man to say, I'm a woman, I identify as a woman and makes everybody call him a woman. It doesn't make you a woman. It doesn't make you a woman, just like Kitten wasn't actually a cat, Right. But it is, it is an interesting thing that, that we're talking about it more. We're bringing it into our schools. My daughter is, is the oldest. She has two brothers. She lives on a farm. We do a lot of farm things. She's often dirty. She raises goats. If you were to ask her in kindergarten if she might be a boy, she might say yes. <laughs> because everything about her life is boyish. She's dirty. She plays with her brothers. You know, like... She might say yes. You might plant a seed in her brain. And if you asked her again and again, do you think you could be a boy? Do you like things that are boyish? Do you like to wear dresses? She doesn't. Do you like to wear pants? She does. Like you could absolutely plant a seed in my young daughter's mind that she is not meant to be a girl. That she's more like a boy than she is like a girl. I'm just, I recognize that there's an impressionable mind. And if somebody were to insert this idea young that it might take root. It absolutely might. And we're obviously seeing this happening in schools. We're going to talk about it more directly. And we're seeing it's against God's word. It is against the laws of biology. This is actually, I've said it before, where actually we kind of all come together on this. It Science agrees. You know, it's not like there's a consensus that there's a gene or, or something like that. It's like, no, biologically, scientifically, you are the gender that you are. I am seeing that ideology is costly. I am seeing that we're taking it flippantly and that we're clinging to the virtue signal. We're getting further and further down the manipulation train and we're not understanding that it is not as simple as you can just think a thing and move on with your life because the thing that you think is amplified. The thing that you don't understand is is amplified and it is becoming very costly and, and oftentimes the cost is in direct conflict with what you're standing for. You want to save lives, so you advocate for a vaccine that ends up killing people. You want to save the environment so that we can all live here longer, I guess. I don't know, like so that we save our earth and every humanity like lives longer on earth, I assume, is the goal. Only to have people freeze in their homes because they don't have energy. Only to have China take up the, the demand and build a whole lot more nuclear plants or some other form of energy that we're turning our nose against. It's like we're not actually solving any of the problems with our ideology. We actually don't even understand the consequences of our ideology oftentimes. And I just thought we should talk about that today. I hope that was helpful. 
Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate this podcast and tell all your friends. And of course, catch me over at gainingmyperspective.com. Father God, I pray today for clarity, for revelation, always, Lord, for myself, for humility for myself, and also for humility and revelation for anyone who hears this message, anyone who is in these conversations, Lord, that we would approach it with humility, that we would be humble before you, Lord, before your word, that we would strive to understand your ways as we know they are higher and greater than our own ways, Lord. Please align our hearts with you. Just show us, show us where we're mistaken, show us where we're forcing out unintended consequences into the world, Lord. We know that you are the one who holds all wisdom, and we want to align with that. In your son's name we pray. Amen.